are listening to the Issues on Appeal podcast, focusing on timely and timeless issues of appellate practice and professionalism. Here is your host, Dwayne Dyker. Thanks for joining me for episode 45, 10 Months of Remote OA. This show is again sponsored by Court Surety Bond Agency, the nation's leading surety agency specializing in supersedious bonds. More about CSBA later in the show. Florida appellate courts are about 10 months and counting into the transition to remote oral arguments. Instead of council tables and podiums, we have webcams and Zoom rooms. This marks a sea change in appellate advocacy in Florida. How did we get here so quickly? How's it going? In this episode, I'll talk with Chief Judge Nellie Kuzam and Clerk of the Court Mary Beth Kunzel of the 2nd District Court of Appeal to get their thoughts on these issues. Our discussion is next. So I am 45 episodes into this podcast, and I have yet to have a currently sitting judge on the show, no less a chief judge. So Judge Kuzam, thanks for joining me on the show. Well, it's my pleasure to be here, Dwayne. Thank you for inviting me. And I'm just as pleased to have the clerk of the second DCA, Mary Beth Kunzel. Thanks for being here, too. And thank you. So it was about the middle of March last year, uh, 2020, when the whole world changed, right? The safer at home orders were entered in our uh, in our counties here in Pinellas County and Hillsborough County. And in fact, I remember my last day in the office was Friday, March 13th, uh, <laughs> of all things. And I left thinking, you know, took a bunch of stuff with me, left thinking that I would be back in just a couple of weeks because that was sort of what we were thinking originally at the time. And, of course, that never happened. And all the courts shut down that they had to uh, under the local orders along with everything else. And before too long, we figured out we were going to be in this for a while. So one of the big things that happened, of course, is that the the second district and other appellate courts in Florida went to having a remote oral argument. And I'm just curious, you know, walk me through how that happened. Like how quickly was a decision made that the courts needed to, to keep going and needed to find a way to do oral arguments without coming to the courthouse? It's really interesting, Dwayne, that you mentioned about March 13th. It was right around that time, actually it was on March 11th, that the Florida Supreme Court's first administrative order on COVID was issued. And then by March 13th, the same day that you indicated was your last day, the Supreme Court issued COVID orders to temporary suspend jury trials. So it was right around the time that our court, the second DCA, we we have a court emergency team. So we I immediately activated it and we met and everyone agreed, immediately agreed that we should discontinue the in-person oral argument. And as you could appreciate, part of that urgency came from our unique situation. You know, we do hold oral arguments on the campus of the Stetson Law School, Tampa campus. So the courtroom does not belong to us. It belongs to Stetson. And because it's not directly under our control, the decision was made that we should immediately discontinue the in-person oral arguments. 
Yeah, no, that, that, that makes perfect sense. And so what, you know, how, how long, you know, at, at one point we thought it was just a pause. Like how quickly did you all start making contingency plans that, that we have to do something? Well, that's when, when it became very obvious very quickly that we have to now start, start working out our, our technology, uh, 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 matter. So the tech people, we really, we have, we're, we're very blessed doing, as you know, we have a great, great group on our court, but the, the OSCA, which is a, the Office of State Court Administrator, worked with all the system administrators of the DCAs and they made, re, OSCA did some research, the DCA staff all did research in comparison to basic review which platform to use. You know, you've heard, you've heard Microsoft Teams, you've heard of WebEx, you, you heard of Zoom. So Oscar reviewed all the pricing and Zoom was ultimately chosen uh, for our platform for the oral arguments. Well, that must have been done very quickly, right? Because nobody was thinking about this before before the middle of March, right? This is something that was uh, completely a response to the pandemic. Correct. In fact, just to put it in perspective, and I want Mary Beth to jump in, we met immediately and the decision was made. And then it wasn't that, oh, we sat around and did not do anything. We would, when the decision was made that Zoom would be the platform, Mary Beth as our clerk, Joe Haynes as our marshal, and the whole tech, our, our whole um, uh, group of people, our whole technology department, our IT people, we used the, the month, the several, several weeks that we started practicing, practicing using the Zoom platform. And I think you've heard me say this before in some other, um, in some other, uh, uh presentations that, uh, we had a group of judges. I was one of them as guinea pigs. We had our staff attorneys, our even uh, our our central staff director. We all did mock OAs in order to master the Zoom technology. And I think you've heard me say before that some of the cases that we used were all fiction. We talked about Disney villains. Who's your, you know, your favorite Disney villain and why? And very passionate arguments were made. And we would, as judges, we would interrupt the questioning, would interrupt each other to see how does that sound? Are the lawyers able to hear us? Are we able to hear when another judge uh, uh, asks a question? So Mary Beth spent countless hours, and judges have also spent a lot of time to perfect it and to master it. And as you know, we were ready to go. Mary Beth, remind me, didn't we start OAs and uh, Zoom OAs in May? Yes, we did. Yes, we did. And and to uh follow up on Dwayne's earlier question, you know, while this did seem to come out of the blue and who, you know, uh, expects to be working in a pandemic, in fact, the uh, judicial branch uh, had plans specifically to pandemics, but also to other types of emergency operations. Uh, I'd have to go back and, and look at the Florida Supreme Court's website or the state court administrator's website, uh, but I, I'm thinking that it was probably from SARS, but uh, pandemic-related emergency operations had been reviewed uh, prior to this. And so having that foundation of preparation was also a great assist in us making this transition. 
Yeah, something that uh, the judge said resonated with me, which is that this this transition involved everybody, right? It involves the judge, the judges, it involves the clerk's office, it involves the marshal. I mean, it really impacts every aspect of the of the court functioning. Correct. Absolutely. Correct. And 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 you know, Duane, you've been to you've been <laughs> to our court and you've seen it just it's a tremendous operation. And for me, what makes me so proud of the team that we had that no one hesitated. It was immediately, immediately, Mary Beth and her team and, and the clerk's office. And as you know, the filings have not stopped. They've been coming in. It's not like, oh, we have to stop everything to focus on this. It was we still had work to do. The 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 the, the cases needed to be resolved. And so even though we were taking the time to to practice on the Zoom technology, still the judges, we still had the cases to resolve on or argument waived cases. We still were handling the motions docket. Everything else was being handled seamlessly in order to keep the court's operation going. Yeah, no, and I have to tell you, you know, from my perspective as a, as a practitioner, it, it definitely felt seamless. I mean, you know, there was a short time where we we weren't doing the OAs, but the con- the court continued uh, churning out orders and and processing cases. And you know, unlike the trial courts, which have been a lot more hampered uh, by this, the appellate courts seem to just you know keep keep moving along, which you know is great. And it's really interesting because the trial courts they do have their challenges and different challenges that we have. But I remember Mary Beth and even our marshal Joe would say when people say, "Well, when did you did you guys stop?" And that was a quote, "Guys, did you guys stop working uh, in April?" And 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 the response is, "We never stopped working. Just the oral arguments were continued because, as you know, we gave everybody the option: Do you want your matter be heard without oral argument, and we're ready to, to 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 go forward with it, or do you wish to continue it in order to give you the opportunity to make your argument orally?" And Mary Beth could probably answer that question better than I can. But you know, we had quite a few people ask for their cases to be continued. And then quite a few people asked for us to quickly try to resolve their cases without the benefit of oral argument. Mary Beth, can you weigh in on this? Yes, most of the cases, they did ask for the oral argument to be uh, continued, and we reset those as quickly as we were able. Um, There were a few that um, waived their oral argument to have the case proceed. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember that that happened to me, and we the client did opt that they wanted to wait, and so we um, we waited. I'm curious. This is stepping back just a little bit. Was was there ever any consideration given to doing telephonic arguments? Now, don't get me wrong. I I think the Zoom was a much better choice, but it's also a much more complicated, much more aggressive choice, I guess, by the court. Was there any thought to telephonic arguments, or was the focus always on? some type of video conferencing. Oh, Duane, we did consider it, but it was rejected quickly because the judges on our court, really the second UCA judges, appreciate the give and take, as you know, of oral argument. And with phone conferences, the participants are either talking over each other or more silent. So while we expected that it would take a little bit of time, you know, to figure out this technology for conducting video oral arguments, we were at the same time making pretty dramatic changes to our internal operations to comply with the Supreme Court's direction for remote work. And I think right now, 
I'm sure you're pleased with the result because it's worked out great. And it's, it's just like you're, and it's, it's not the same as being in person, but you're able to see the judges. You're able to have that give and take during oral arguments. Yeah, absolutely. I have, I've done some, well, I've done some telephonic arguments in the trial court and I've listened to some of the appellate telephonic arguments like the Supreme Court and such. And, and this is doing it by video it, it is so much better. It's so much better in so many ways. Yes. And, and feel free, Mary Beth, anytime when I make a comment, feel free to jump in as well. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you're right on. I mean, while we were, uh, investigating the technology to uh, conduct our oral arguments in a safe way, we were also making big changes to uh, enable staff to work remotely. You know, in the clerk's office, we typically operate with 16 people in the office to process papers and electronic filings and and figuring out the system for dispersing those people uh, so that we could reduce our staffing as directed by the Supreme Court. That was all a, a pretty big lift at the time. So it didn't seem, we knew that video would be the way to go, and it just didn't seem productive to try something in the interim while we were also trying to figure out all these other things. Today's show is sponsored by Court Surety Bond Agency, the nation's leading surety agency specializing in supersedious bonds. If you have a client needing to stay enforcement of a judgment in Florida or any other state or federal court, contact CSBA. They can be reached at 877-810-5525, and their contact information is always in the show notes. I'm thrilled to have a great company like CSBA as a longtime sponsor of the podcast. CSBA is a national agency that sits with court bonds all over the United States, but has extensive experience in Florida. I suggest you take a moment, visit their website, courtsurety.com. It's full of valuable resources, including a state-by-state guide to appeal bond requirements and a comprehensive FAQ on collateral, underwriting, and the application process. The next time a client needs a supersedious bond, please give Court Surety Bond Agency a call. These folks are experts in this area. They'll guide you and your client through the process, giving you one less thing to worry about. Now, I know that uh, the, the vast majority of the court personnel are, are working remotely. Uh, are there, is there any staff that are present in the, in the physical court, proceeding, uh, court facilities at this point? The way we have it, and uh, this is, again, in compliance with the Supreme Court's um, uh, administrative order, the way that we perceive that if someone, if either a judge or a staff is able to work remotely, they must. And the term is very clear. They shall work remotely. But as you know, Dwayne, in any, in every group, there's a few folks that are unable to, whether they don't have the the correct equipment at home or the correct technology, that it's difficult for them. So we do have, uh, we do have from time to time staff coming in, but in order to make sure that we limit the, 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 the folks coming in, if a staff wants to appear they have to get their judge's permission to enter the building. And if the judge gives them permission, I have to be notified as chief judge and my marshal be notified as well, because we want to know who's in the building. 
how long they're in the building. In the event there's an outbreak or something happens, we want to be able to make sure who has been in the building. So to answer your question, very limited number of people. And Mary Beth, with her office, she could answer that. But, you know, they do they do rotate. So there's somebody there at all times. And, and Mary Beth could talk regarding, at least from her staff who's there, the marshal's office. As you know, we need to have security. And also the, the, the IT people, the IT people are always there because we need them in order to support basically the entire court. So for them... They are there as well. So overall, very limited number of people are in the building, but we do have folks in the building. In the clerk's office, we're operating with two or no more than three um, people in the office. Um, While the courthouse itself is closed, we do still have filers who show up and they want to submit a filing. They can hand it to the deputy, but there is some interaction and and issues come up. So we do have to have uh, someone here for that purpose. And then also, you know, there's just a volume of mail that goes in and comes out, you know, primarily to uh, prisoners or to pro se litigants. And all of that has to be processed uh, in the in the facility. How much harder would this have been, though, uh, before electronic filing, right? <laughs> if oh, you was by mail, uh, This would be uh, much, much, much harder. <laughs> well, uh, but we wouldn't been able to, Duane, to continue on with the work of the court, quite frankly. I mean, if we didn't have this, this is just tremendous. And, and I've been saying this over and over again. I can't thank enough Mary Beth and my IT people and the marshal's office, because this was all hands on deck to make this work, <laughs> you know, and, and, and there's a few of us that are technology, technologically, let's just say, uh, deficient. So we had to work with everyone to make sure everybody's up to, up to par. Well, that's a good uh, transition, uh, Judge, to my next question. I was going to ask, what, what kind of hardware, computer hardware, the judge is using for, for Zoom? I mean, we know that the court, uh, that the judges all have iPads, and that would be one way. But uh, how are, is there some standard? What is everybody using for Zoom? It, it, it all depends, Duane, because some of us that there's some judges at home, they have their home computers. Then other judges have laptops that the court has, has issued to them. It seems to me that the actual iPads, it really doesn't lend itself that well, you know, for, Zoom, for, for, for the or arguments. Yeah, and so, yeah, so for the most part, as I understand, most judges have been using their court-issued laptops. And then there's some judges, like for, for me, I've been very fortunate that my home computer is really a great computer. So I've been using that to remote in and to conduct our arguments through my home computer. But if something happens there, I've got my laptop as a fallback. Yeah, no, that that's that's good. I mean, I, I have spent a lot of time in my own <laughs> building my home office out in the last few months to make sure that I have a good uh, Zoom setup because it's so important these days. Sure, sure. I had an oral argument in December, um, so I've sort of been through this process. But for those who who don't know, um, the clerk and the marshal do a technical rehearsal. Uh, with uh, everybody a few days before the argument, which I, th- I think is fantastic. 
Um, how, how did this uh, how did this come about, Mary Beth? And is it can you talk a little bit about you know how this is benefiting the court and the and the litigants? Oh, absolutely. This is so helpful uh, for many different reasons. Uh, we wanted the attorneys uh, to be prepared uh, to to work through any uh, bugs or learning curve before they're actually presenting their argument. Because as you know, you know, there are enough nerves associated with presenting an argument. And the last thing you need to do is worry about whether your technology is going to fail. So we started with the... Um, with the test sessions. And uh, it's, it's really been great. I think that it's helped people have a comfort level. Uh, we try, uh, the marshal and I, we, we try to, to, to do a little extra and to help people because this is going to be recorded. So we, you know, if we can suggest, you know, to, uh, an improvement to their lighting or to their setup, just so that they can present themselves in the best possible way, uh, I know for myself, um, you know, because I'm in Lakeland, I generally don't see the attorneys who show up to argue. Our arguments have been held in Tampa almost uh, the entire time I've been clerk. So for me personally, it's also just wonderful to see the faces. Uh, and it really has helped me with what I call my isolation sickness in these terrible times um, to be able to interact with people. And, and we've had uh, test sessions where we have attorneys waving at each other across the Zoom platform because they're also happy to see each other. So I think for the collegiality of the bar, it's also uh, a wonderful thing. Well, I have to tell you, I I enjoyed it. I mean, I feel very comfortable with Zoom at this point anyway, but I did enjoy the rehearsal and and I have to echo what you're saying um, in the in the one that I was in, um, uh, the Marshal Johane, she. Uh, was specifically uh, giving individual individual uh, lawyers, and I think there were actually some pro se litigants on on this one uh, advice. And I remember not not to call anybody out, but there was a particular lawyer who had a setup that was, you know, she was dark. Um, her face was dark, and uh, and the marshal pointed that out and made some suggestions. And through the course of the call, we watched the lawyer rearrange her office. <laughs> <laughs> window was, you know, in front of her instead of behind her, and it got much better. And I was like, well, that's a great, you know, it's great for the lawyer, it's great for the judges, it's great for the for the video recording. And it was nice that, uh, that, uh, that you guys took the time to, you know, to, to counsel them through that. Absolutely, absolutely. And we've done the same thing for our judges, not in public sessions, but but we, uh, as the as the chief judge mentioned, we did a lot of practice sessions, and you know, made similar suggestions about lighting or or having them appropriately in the frame, because the, I think when you have that level of a professional appearance, it's one of the ways also that you maintain the dignity of the court proceeding. Yes, definitely. Now, so do you know if other courts also do a technical rehearsal like this? I believe they all do, uh, to my knowledge, yes. Yeah. And and you assume this, this is something that will continue. I mean, d- despite the fact that we will get more familiar with Zoom, I, I, at least for the time being, um, this is a process you intend to, to continue to offer. We do. Um, there are some people who argue frequently. And so I 
you know, I tell them if you don't uh, feel like you need to sign up for uh, this test session, then uh, by all means don't. But there are some who don't uh, argue that frequently. So they, they may come back for a repeat. Um, there's also always the software updates and the changes uh, to your computer systems that then sometimes you've never had a problem before and now you're having a problem. So my suggestion is that if you're not doing a lot of Zoom hearings or oral arguments, go, take advantage of the test session. And if someone signs on and they, uh, in just a few minutes, they're satisfied that everything is working well, it doesn't hurt our feelings if they want to leave early, you know, because we're doing this to help the attorneys in their preparation. Yeah, yeah. And it's optional, but uh, but I think it's, it's nice because there will always be, you know, even as we get well, it amazes me now we're nine months into using Zoom and there's still people that struggle with a little bit. And there will always be people who don't argue before the courts all the time. And, you know, I think it's great. I'm curious, um, how often do you think technical problems interfere with an argument? And I don't mean little problems like, you know, you couldn't hear somebody or they have to repeat themselves. But I mean, how often is there, you know, sort of a technical failure that prevents an argument from actually happening or continuing does that does that occur uh, I'll, and Mary Beth could help me out with this, but i do I am aware i mean the, the short answer is not frequently dwayne but but at one time, the biggest technical problem actually happened to us last month i don 't know if you 've heard about it. Two of our judges were participating from their offices in Tampa, and so our argument started. And the physical cable for the internet service to the building was accidentally severed by a contractor on the site. But in, in short orders, though, the judges were back using now iPads and hotspots in order to get back into the session. And so it, it's very, it, it's, it's very infrequent that these things, you know, happen. There are isolated issues, you know, with bad connections where an attorney has to call in and participate by phone. And in fact, what I try to do, because I sit in the center chair, I would tell the attorneys, please do not worry. If for whatever reason, technical issues come up on your end, we will we, you could call in, we will still proceed with your argument, but so please do not worry, your case will be heard, just to give them that, that, that comfort level. And I think, and Mary Beth could help me out with this, I think once or twice there had been a problem where somebody signed in early and then ended up leaving from the virtual courtroom. So when they signed back in, they appeared in the virtual courtroom because that's where they left them <laughs> and they didn't have, and didn't have, you know, the proper settings to turn off the camera when they joining in the meeting. So they were seen by everyone. So you know, these little technical things do occur. Yeah. And I'll have to say, you know, a big shout out to the judges because they don't blink an eye. They are so uh, good at dealing with the technical glitches in the moment and and in the uh, occasion that the chief judge just referred to. Uh, this attorney did twice reappear in the courtroom. It wasn't that attorney's case. Uh, the attorney did not have the video settings that we recommend, which is always to have your camera turned off when you join a meeting. So everyone could see the attorney, uh, and yet the judges continued with their argument. The lawyers continued with their 
with the argument and the IT staff were able to move this attorney into the uh, attendee side until that case was called. Yeah, <laughs> that, that is for, for those who haven't done it. Um, there is a great, you know, system by which the, the only the uh, lawyers who are actively arguing a case are sort of admitted to the virtual courtroom and everyone else is in, in uh, you know, essentially a waiting room. And, and really that, that feels like it works, it works very well. I mean, it's uh, a little bit, uh, uh, you know, it's sort of a weird feeling when you're waiting, waiting to be admitted and then you've got a couple second pause and, and here you are, but, but it really does function. Uh, it functions very well, I think. And it helps us maintain the security, the integrity of the proceeding. Uh, you know, that was part of the testing that our uh, court did in making its decision about how to run these, because there's a webinar format and there's a meeting format in Zoom. And we thoroughly tested both and and then made a firm decision that the webinar format with the attendee side and the panelist side was the best option for us. But but it was something where we did also look at the meeting format. Uh, I'm not sure what uh, all the other courts, which format they're using, but I know for us, that was the clear winner. So, Judge, it sounds like the, the remote OA is being being well received by the judges. I mean, of course, to some extent, they don't have a choice. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, all of this would like to be in a courtroom again someday. But it sounds like, you know, that uh, as this has evolved, that this appears to be a, a reasonable substitute for in-person argument. Uh, do, you, do you think? Yeah, I think overall, the video always has been received very positively by the judges. Many if not most of us <laughs> miss the in-person arguments and and i have to echo what what mary beth said the judges really greatly appreciate the professionalism of the appellate bar i mean the attorneys have all played a critical part in making this work and we very very much appreciate that it it definitely takes uh, it takes cooperation on both sides and you know I think that uh, as practitioners, we're appreciative of, of, of the court doing, you know, putting in all the effort so that we can keep our cases moving and, and you know, and having the, the uh, mindset that, you know, we'll get past technical difficulties. You're not going to uh, lose your case because you had a technical issue. You know, everybody's sort of working on the same team to make sure that, that these cases get heard. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, Dwayne. I know that um, in the before times, after an oral argument calendar, you all would meet, uh, the, the panel would meet uh, in conference on the cases. Is that something that you still do? Do you, do you meet by Zoom uh, on oral argument days after the arguments? Well, we, uh, the short answer, we do, we do meet after the, the oral arguments, but we do not conference on Zoom. What we have done is that for those judges that are in the building, they may meet in person and obviously it will be masked up, socially distanced. You've been to our, our, our fourth floor uh, conference room where I was there one day and each, uh, I was on one table. The other judge was at least <laughs> 20 feet away from me. And then the third judge is another 20 feet because it's a very large room. Yeah, it's a big room. <laughs> yeah, it's a big room. And, but 
But for the most part, what we've been using is we've been using the video and audio meetings in the Microsoft Teams. So typically after the oral argument is over, we would then transition into Microsoft Teams so we could see each other and we would confer using that platform. Do you think that this new process, has this changed the volume of oral arguments at all? Is the court approaching uh, the granting of oral argument any different with arguments remote as opposed to when they were in person? No, we and you know, our court is you make a request, you know, we usually grant the request. And then unless if, if, uh, if a case, uh, ultimately, you know, if a case, the decisions made that or arguments may not be, be helpful, then you'll get a notice accordingly. But for the most part, Dwayne, if you make a request, we honor it. And what's interesting, what we have, and I've talked to Mary Beth about that, We've had more oral argument cancellation or continuances when we were live in person. We have very few cancellations when we, we transition to the, to the Zoom oral arguments. And I think, uh, I'd be very curious to see what the reasoning is, but in my mind, I'm thinking this is much easier for people to participate and therefore, any issue that may come up, which may hinder someone, hamper someone from traveling to our court, that's non-existent because now they could prov- they could proceed, you know, from their offices or from their homes. And Mary Beth, am I right about that? You are, and I think that's consistent with what uh, courts around the country are reporting about overall participation in judicial proceedings. That the option to appear by video. Uh, is actually increasing uh, the participation and attendance and reducing the failures to appear or things like that. And and a lot of things, whether it's uh, CLEs or, or panel discussions or court hearings, I mean, this really has, uh, ironically, you know, the fact that we are all much more restricted in where we can go and what we can do. And now that we're using this technology, it really does seem to be opening up uh, a lot of proceedings and meetings uh, to to people that might not have all, all uh, attended, you know, before. It's it's kind of amazing that it's uh, in in a way it's it's opening things up even while it's closing things down. <laughs> I know. I don't know if you remember last year's annual meeting of the Florida Bar. They had some off the chart numbers for some of their attendance because suddenly you didn't have to leave your home and pay for a hotel room and travel, you know, to the wherever the bar meeting was being held. And I think there's a lot to learn going forward from uh, from these kinds of results. Yeah, I agree. Bar meetings have, have particularly benefited, right? Because it is, it's a lot to ask somebody to take a day or two off of work to drive down to, you know, Boca Raton uh, to attend, you know, maybe you only want to attend one meeting, uh, much easier to attend by Zoom. Well, and that's a good transition to what I wanted to ask you about the future. So do you all see, uh, you know, we're, we're just predicting the future here, who knows, but, but do you see, uh, the possibility of remote OA continuing, at least in some cases, after we don't have to do it anymore. Once the once the pandemic is over or under control or however that's going to play out, who knows? But once we have an opportunity where we could be back in the courtroom, do you see the the lessons of the pandemic saying, you know, maybe there's times that we can do 
uh, OA remotely. You know, certainly that's under discussion, and we are going to be testing how that works if some judges are in the courtroom and another is not, or maybe one attorney is present and the other one appears by video. And the main reason we want to address it, because this could also uh, impact the cost of traveling, which may be a factor preventing someone from requesting an oral argument in person. And also, too, this may allow judges to participate in oral arguments, even though they have to have, you know, to travel out of town on some meetings. And also, too, Dwayne, you know, during hurricane season, it has happened at least one time when I was chief judge, where we had to uh, cancel and close the courthouse because of the incoming hurricane. And then the hurricane ended up, thankfully, you know, avoiding us. So, this gives us the flexibility and we're looking into it for uh, there's been a lot of successes using this technology and it would be a shame uh, to 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 not take advantage of it under the circ- under the, some of the the circumstances so we are looking into it as well i think especially in cases where travel is required you know and and i I don't know exactly how this would work, whether you would have to ask or everybody would have to agree, but certainly there's times when, when travel is required that boy, it would, it would be much more efficient and save some money uh, mm-hmm. if people could do it remotely. Or, you know, if you had a case you were taking on pro bono, it would open up the ability to argue cases other places without having to incur the time and cost of travel. I mean, it seems like there, there may be opportunities for this in the future and, by the time we get there, we will have honed these skills and know how to do these things remotely pretty well. Yeah, no, and that's why this is certainly under discussion. And that's where Mary Beth comes in and our IT people and Joe by testing to see how that may work. If you have, if let's just say, Dwayne, you're out of town and you want to appear, how will that work? So, uh, and I think Mary Beth is always one step ahead uh-huh. <laughs> in the future and to try to 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 anticipate any of these things. <laughs> well, let me ask you, while, while I have you both um, here on the podcast, there's one other sort of general pandemic-related question that I wanted to ask. It's, you know, as appellate practitioners, many of us are worried that the, the pause in jury trials uh, will have an effect on our workloads, right? Because less less trials means less judgments, which means less appeals, and I'm just curious, you know, we're, we're nine or 10 months into this now. Um, how has the pandemic affected the number of appellate case filings? Well, I could just, and Mary Beth could jump in on that, but the filings are down because of the, as you know, the trial court's operation had been hampered by the pandemic. But the filings are picking up because, as you know, Duane, we have taken jurisdiction over appeals from county court, including the transfer of pending cases. And right before we started the podcast, I think I, I, I told you that we've been getting quite a few of those that already pending cases have already uh, are already with us. So we are expecting that the numbers to pick up significantly as the year progresses. And that's due to those appeals and petitions. And also, too, when the cases start picking up, <laughs> that's going to be coming in. And so even though the cases are delayed in the, in the trial court, the trial courts are eager. And they, they, even though there's no jury trials, my understanding is a lot of trial judges are still conducting hearings remotely. So at least some 
aspect of the, 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 the cases in the trial courts are being processed. And perhaps maybe Mary Beth is, may know more about this area uh, in terms of the numbers. Uh, well, I, I'm sorry to say I don't have any exact numbers, uh, but uh, I know from the uh, from the branch perspective that the they the trial courts are advising that there's going to be some 5,000 delayed jury trials in June of 21 beyond you know what is expected, and so they're going to be working. Uh, you know, sharpening their pencils, so to speak, on their case management uh, to move cases efficiently. I think what will happen is that we'll suddenly have quite a lot more work. So it's, it's a lull now. It's a, a, a shame in a way that none of us can travel and take advantage of things being a little bit slower because I think that really we'll be very busy uh, once things do pick up. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, like it's it's well, certainly I'm sure there are some cases that maybe settle because you know they're faced with a, a backlog, and you know maybe sometimes it spurs people to resolve cases that they might not have otherwise resolved. But for a large part, those cases are there, <laughs> and they're going to have to be processed at some point. So, yeah, no, I think that's a good point. It would be a good time for us all to take a vacation, but we can't take vacation. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And we're going to get pandemic generated cases. We're going to get cases coming out of the, you know, unfortunately, the unfortunate economic situations and uh, certain moratoriums. And so there there are cases that will come from this in addition to cases that are delayed because of this. And, and it's interesting, Duane, I, I, I just happened to pick to open up and it's uh, you could probably find it on the on the Florida Supreme Court's website. It's uh, the workload, and and basically what they they indicate that Florida's trial courts will be disposing of an estimated 2.5 million cases this fiscal year, and obviously there's a backlog. But I I, I recall I was at a meeting and Justice Candy couldn't be more proud. That even with the pandemic, cases are being <laughs> are being processed, you know, and disposed. So, not uh, I'm sure from your standpoint, uh, you probably you know uh, have seen a little bit of a difference. But I do know I know the chief judge down in um, I think Fort Lauderdale. You should see his courtroom. It's all geared up for for jury trials and they have it all set up to have it the appropriate social distancing and it's all uh, if you look at it i think you probably could get that you know online where it's all equipped to re- to be to be ready to proceed with processing cases so the trial judges are very eager and very 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 antsy to try cases but they're doing what they can in order to process the cases by the you know the, the 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 hearings that they have and other matters to try to dispose and try to resolve matters. Yeah, no, they they have their work cut out for them to you know by by nature of the trial court practice or evidentiary hearings or all that it, it definitely adds a a layer of complication. But yeah, they are they are moving cases, they are resolving cases. I've had a number of cases that have been resolved during the pandemic on summary judgment or other issues. So, so cases are moving and I, I do look forward to the time when, you know, jury trials are being processed uh, in a more normal way, but uh, we will get there. <laughs> I agree. I agree. 
Well, thank you so much, uh, both of you, for being on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. I thought, uh, you know, here nine or ten months into it, it was a good a good time to sort of reflect on on what we've done, and you know, just congratulations to to the court and all, all the Florida appellate courts for doing what they have done to keep the wheels of justice turning. It's it's been uh, impressive. I'm I'm glad to have been you know a small part of it, and. Uh, I look forward to uh, I look forward to seeing you all in court again someday. Yeah, absolutely, and thank you again for having us. And I, before we we finish off, I really want to commend Mary Beth and a real big shout out to her and her team for helping us, you know, transition through this and uh, making our work literally seamless. So thank you to Mary Beth and her group. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you, Chief. It's a, my honor to serve. And, and Dwayne, as you know, and I hope that your listeners know, the clerk's office is here to serve. So anytime we can provide assistance, I hope that uh, you or, or others will contact us to let us know. Thank you. Thank you both. All right. Thank you, Dwayne. My sincere thanks to Chief Judge Kuzam and Ms. Kunzel for their time and insight in the podcast. Remember, podcasts are never legal advice, and nothing that I say or my guests say should ever be interpreted as legal advice for any particular situation. But if you're a lawyer who needs the help of an appellate lawyer, I'm happy to try and help. My contact information is always in the show notes. And please consider using our sponsor, Court Surety Bond Agency, for your client's appellate bond needs. Their contact information is also in the show notes. Please take a moment Add it to your contacts so that you're ready when your client needs a supersedious bond. The next episode will be out in two weeks. I hope that you will continue to download and listen. Thank you for considering this week's Issues on Appeal. Can I ask you your your uh, opinion about the new fonts? I think Mary, Mary Beth may be the best person to answer that question. So we're just starting to see them. The yeah, and and you know, of course, because the judges are working on cases that you know uh, were previously filed, so they they haven't gotten it yet. It's too early to ask the judges. It's too early to ask the judges, but I have already uh, been. Let me say my eyes are happier because now that we all read on screens, I, I, I was a little bit uh, uncertain about the font size, but it is so readable that I am now a fan. And have you, is it too early to tell and to see any trend? Is there an even split between the stuff you see coming in between Bookman and Ariel? Or are you seeing uh, one, one or the other favored or is it too early to tell? That's too early for me to tell. Yes. Because again, you know, I've been screening uh, transfers of county court appeals for two weeks. So (laughs) I'm looking at things that are not newly filed for the most part. Understood. (laughs) That's why I couldn't answer your question, Dwayne, because we haven't seen it yet. (laughs) Right. There's a delay, though. That makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.